0: All right, what's going on, and welcome back. This is the Tipped Out Podcast, episode 13, with your hosts, Brandon Palmer and Danny Christie Golf. Our guest today, our second guest ever, is Aaron Oliver. He is a Delhi graduate, he is a Delhi golfer, and he's one of our great friends. So, we're going to have him on here today. He was a turf major and has plenty of insight in terms of what goes into a golf course, keeping in great shape, and the common myths associated with golf course maintenance so go ahead Danny take us right into it
1: I just want to add on he's got a terrific resume um at court golf courses he's worked I want to hand it over to him in a second just so he can kind of um take you through where he's been and and his experiences a little bit and kind of show off his credentials and, and then we are going to jump into our little uh Fun game for the day, which is fact or fiction. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about uh, course maintenance. And I'm sure Palmer and I will be learning a couple things ourselves. So without further ado, Aaron Oliver.
2: What's up, boys? How are we
1: doing? What's going man? On? Good to see
2: you. How's it going? It's
1: going, going well. Not too bad. Um, you wanna just take me through a little bit, Aaron? You know how, why you chose Del High, why you chose the uh, the turf industry, and then Kind of the places you've worked through
2: there? I mean, so I grew up my whole life on a golf course pretty much since I was like 14. That was my first job was raking bunkers so that I could play golf at the golf course. But really, I chose Del High. Well, I learned that I wanted to work outside my whole life. And then I found out superintendents make a lot of money. <laughs> so that's always a good one. Uh, and then I found out Delhi was a good option. I mean, Delhi for a long time was one of the higher ranked turf schools in the country. I mean, we finished the, every year there's a, a turf bowl test at the golf industry show, and we finished four, three, four years ago. And then that includes schools like Auburn, Michigan State, Penn State, all those like University of Georgia big division one schools, So I thought that was a no-brainer to go there. Oh, I know
1: you guys have been successful in that turf bowl. And I, I thought that was really cool. I, I remember when I got to Delhi and I realized I was like, wait, the turf guys are cooler than the PGM guys. I was like, dang, that's kind of tough. <laughs> no one, no one, we're not even accredited. No one knows. But um, so, and first year, so first year out of Delhi, you had that summer internship. Where'd you land?
2: So I started at uh, Monroe Golf Club with uh, Superintendent Matt Matt Deli, who's probably one of the smartest people I ever met, also a Delhi graduate. So shout out to that, but probably one of the smartest people I ever met. Monroe held the Wegmans PGA, uh, LPGA, sorry, uh, Wegmans LPGA, its final year. And it got some notoriety from that. It's we just went through a renovation, gorgeous club, Donald Ross designed from back in like the 1920s, early thirties, maybe late twenties, early thirties. And I mean, the, like I said, actually, it, it just went through a restoration with Gil Hunts. So place is amazing.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, I would say for people that don't know Monroe Country Club, it is one of the nicest golf courses in the Rochester area, which is saying quite a bit because there are some very nice golf courses there
2: yeah um, I mean you got
1: you mean Oak Hill if you know what that one yeah.
2: is <laughs> Oak Hill CCR is great Aranda DeCoy, they're all great
1: yep um okay and then let's just go over your the next couple uh, internships you had and then we'll move right into our our segment for the day
2: so I went to bayonne after that bayonne golf club it's in the new york city metro it's in bayonne new jersey but it's like right on new york harbor it's where i am now as well i came back to here but uh it's a very nice club very new club i mean the guy who bought it he leased the land for a dollar because it was a landfill and ended up using harbor dredge to artificially build a golf course. And I mean, the original elevation was 10 feet above sea level and it's everything's man-made. And now it's 200 feet above sea level. Wow. And I mean, it's probably, it's, I, it's one of, I think it's in the top. It's definitely in the top 10 courses in New Jersey, which is saying something because I mean, the number one course in the country is in New Jersey. So, and you got Baltusrol and all these nice clubs around here. And then after that, after that three months, I went to a Mirfield Village, which, I mean, a lot of people know what Mirafield is. I mean, the last one, it was 15th ranked in the country, something like that. It moves around a lot, um, but it's never been outside the top 20 in the country. And uh, with that, that was a great opportunity because the superintendent for a week actually swapped interns with Oakmont Country Club. So I got to do just a week there to see their operation. And then I can't elaborate on this, but after that, I did spend a year at Augusta National.
0: Very cool. Very cool.
2: For legal reasons, we cannot speak on that Matt.
0: Yeah.
1: Very cool though. Well, um quite the resume. And you're back at Bayonne now.
2: Yes. First um, assistant.
1: How are you liking that?
2: Uh, I like it. I mean, get to have fun with the crew a little bit. It's a very relaxed atmosphere, which I kind of like. It, I mean, we pretty much have free run to do kind of what we want. So, the general manager is really cool, superintendent's really nice guy.
1: That's cool. Head pros, I mean,
2: yeah, I mean, we have a single owner who's also the designer of the golf course. So, if we have any questions, he knows exactly what's going on.
1: So, the Bayonne so yeah. is uh, absolutely gorgeous. We've been lucky enough to go play there. And yeah. that place is just beautiful with the, the city skyline right there. So
2: I um, might have throw, to throw, some
1: pictures up. throw in a couple pictures in the edit of this, of these, these courses you are saying, especially a couple Bayonne ones. I, I have a couple on my phone. That'll be beautiful. But,
2: oh yeah. Uh, For sure.
0: Hey, before you hop into the factor cap section, Aaron, can you give us a brief rundown of like what a typical day would be uh, in your position? Because I know people in the golf industry uh, they might have a grasp of it, but for just our normal golfer, they may not really know what goes into um, you know keeping a course in tip-top shape before us golfers get there. You know, these things usually happen in uh, at daybreak or even in the evening. So, give us a little rundown of what your typical day would be like here at Bayonne. That is a great point, BP.
2: Yeah, I got you. So basically, like if it's like a normal like summer's day or something like that, you know, I mean everyone wants to go play golf, we usually have to start our stuff at five o'clock in the morning. First tea time is always 730. So and I mean, because our membership is so we kind of have a smaller membership amount, like smaller number. So Sometimes they'll send out like a single first thing. So you need to like be prepared for that single to whip through and you want to keep ahead of them. So usually five o'clock in the morning is when you have to start. And when we get on the course at five, you have your boys mowing greens. You got guys usually mowing nine holes of fairways, either back nine or front nine. We alternate that. You got guys mowing surrounds around the greens. And the next day they mow the tees like stuff Mm -hmm. like that but for me basically the mo goes out followed by the roll so Mm -hmm. we roll our greens probably every other day Mm -hmm. i'm usually in charge of moisture management so after everything's done i'm usually the last step which is going around checking the moisture in the greens Mm -hmm. and you You have a little meter, very expensive meter, they're like $1,500 and you go around, you check stuff and it gives you what they call a volumetric water content. So in like a circle about that big, it tells you, all right, in the circle, this percentage is water. And so that number determines how much you need to put down of water. So I need to get, so all these processes have to be done at least through about the seventh hole by the time the first guy hits the first tee. So we, and then we also have to have contingency plans in case something happens. Like let's say like a mower, the engine breaks down or we we're mowing something and the cut doesn't look right. Like we have to be ready to be like, all right, we didn't take that mower back, switch it out and not have anyone slowing down. So we have to also prepare in our time period for that. Yeah, well. And so there's that in the morning. And then usually after morning tasks, it's just mainly making sure the guys stay on their tasks. Any irrigation breaks, like we have to go fix that. And then if it's a hot day, we normally have to go out and do what they call syringing greens. So that's more moisture management where you have to go out there and basically, like, if it's hot outside, you don't want to necessarily water, but you want to cool stuff down. So if you've ever seen it on a golf course, guys, like, have a hose in their hand, whipping it back and forth, walking really fast, they're doing what they call a syringe, which is not necessarily watering, but it'll cool the surface down for, like, a period of time
0: gotcha.
2: so that nothing gets too heat-stressed. What's up?
0: How often do you guys change uh, pin locations or cups?
2: Yeah, so usually there'll be a guy doing that. We do that every day, but currently mm-hmm. at the place where, we, where I'm at, Mondays we're closed. So usually Tuesdays we cut all 18, and then we'll do what we call day one, day two. So like Monday we'll do day one, which is nine holes, but it's like you do like one, two, three, seven nine on the front and then you do like 10 11 13 15 or something like that and then you would cut all the other ones the next day
0: oh cool and then
2: if we have a tournament you cut all 18 we get a pin sheet all that stuff so we get like we know the pro shop goes like okay we'd like the pins in these general areas
0: yep that's
2: cool yeah and that's not too bad
0: yeah. Pretty scientific I mean, uh, process with a lot of things. I bet, you know, it's not as uh, cut and dry. Like a lot of us may think, you know, there's definitely some uh, math and science that go into your job and it's uh it's definitely far more important and costly than I probably used to think, you know, messing up a, a fringe cut or a cup cut, or maybe just not even having the right uh, moisture levels in there. Definitely. They don't seem to really cross our minds as golfers that much, but I, uh, I can imagine, you know, that's, that's your guys' world. So it's a totally different, totally different thing.
2: Well, one of the things I also hear sometimes is like superintendents use a lot of big sciencey words sometimes. Mm. And there's a reason we kind of have to use those like for chemicals, for instance, when you're spraying, Mm. like there's been stories of some superintendents. So there's this thing called Segway. So, we call those trade names like your Segway and like mm-hmm. all these like cool, like clever names they give chemicals for whatever they treat. So, Segway yeah. treats like it's a fungicide.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
2: it means like it just treats like funguses and stuff like that. So, Segway. And then there's another product called Segment. And it's a uh, herbicide, kind of like Roundup. It's non selective. So, it, if you spray it, it will kill it. There's no like, it doesn't discern between plants mm-hmm. and there's been stories of people mistaking the two yeah. and spraying like their like fairways with segment and it kills them all and it's yeah. just like well we use the fancy names what they call the active ingredients because those are like your fancier chemical style names of what are in these products Gotcha. Because that will discern the difference between I'm going to kill something or I'm going to help something from not happening.
1: Okay. Nobody's going to mix those up. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, incredible. Incredible. I'm sure we can let a um, couple more like interesting questions brew while we go through our segment here and then maybe we can touch back on to some maybe cooler stories or stuff like that at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so I want to get us started in the name of this section. I, I love what Palmer just called it. So it is now officially known as FACT or CAP. Um, and the first question that we have is going to be, greens are totally fine in the location of a ball mark after you fix it. So fixing a ball mark on a green uh, is, is going to leave the green in, in great shape.
2: Yeah. So no. Yeah. So to all. So yeah. So to all those pros that like to, you know, give lessons on the golf course, and punch green full I did this. <laughs> <laughs> this is not something you want to do. No. So, basically, when you fix a ball mark. Unless you do it absolutely perfect, which, I mean, is almost impossible to do. There will be some sort of marking there that you will have to get rid of. Like, if you're, at, it'll eventually fix itself, but if you need something where it's just like, hey, like, you're at a club like Bayonne or something like that, where it's like, we need nice greens all the time immediately. If you fix a ball mark, it's going to leave a little brown dot about that big. And you're going to have to go in there and like brush it with green sand or something to make it disappear. So no matter what you try, you're always going to see where the mark is. And it's just best to try to limit those marks you make in a green. That's also why a lot of people say your best conditioned greens tend to be your par fives. Because there's less people absolutely just... Hitting nine iron through wedges is full swing into them. And usually your par threes are beat up.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Mm. One step further I want to go with, because I know I've heard um, people talk about, or I feel like there was a big buzz for a while about actually fixing ball marks the right way. Um, How much of a difference is it if you were to go in there and fix it what is the wrong way where you're in there pushing straight up versus what I've heard is the right way, which you get in there and you kind of push the sides in and concave it in on itself.
2: So when you concave it in, what you're not doing is pulling the roots. When you pull up, you're pulling, like bent grass only has roots that, I mean like they should be deeper, but really like their true structural roots are only about that deep. So when you pull up, that's gonna pull up on those roots. And it's going to pull up on those fibers and it will hurt the plant or it can bring in the possibility of hurting the plant so it's better to just pull in because it's that doesn't pull up on roots uh, roots at all
1: interesting that makes sense
0: okay
1: all right yeah. here oh, we'll move on to the next one. Oh, go ahead paul go ahead
0: i said yeah i definitely want a long time definitely popping it up oh yeah <laughs> I mean, some of you, they teach
2: at Raymondville. I mean, you look yeah. at some divot repair tools. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it. you ever had one of those like Scotty Cameron ball repair tools. Like, it mm-hmm. literally has the ball on it, it has like a little like lever on it for you to pull up on them. It's just like, come on, guys, like, what are we doing? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hmm.
1: All right, so the next one is divots. So I've heard a million probably different things about divots. I, I know when you're growing up, you just learn to always replace your divot. And then um, at least you did in the, in, in Canton, New York. Um, and then I remember going down south for the first time or ever playing nicer courses and they want you to put sand in and actually replace don't replace the divots. Now, is that dependent on the grass? So the factor cap question is going to be, is replacing your divots uh worth it does it actually help the golf course
2: so i will say it depends on um how high end your facility is that you're playing at so a place like like where i grew up in upstate new york where you grew where we all grew up playing yeah, you want to probably replace your divot because they didn't have the option of putting sand or anything in that divot. But if you do have the option to put sand or seed mix in the divot, don't replace your divot. I remember uh, last, I guess this would have been August or early September, I worked the Northern Trust at Liberty National. And I mean, I've worked the Memorial as well. And their divot, the PGA agronomist that was there always said, make sure you pull the beaver tails out. Because, I mean, pros, they replace their divot only for the purpose so that the group behind them doesn't end up in a divot. That's really the only reason why they replace their divots. When we actually go through and do divots in evening maintenance, you pull out all those divots to put the divot mix in. Because that's what the PGA wants you to do.
0: Yeah. so what about the clubs that only have like straight up sand because you'll see certain courses that are nice enough they will have i assume what you're calling the divot mix where it's like green or has fertilizer yeah. but is it does it make that big of a difference if it's just sand? like is it just sand? some courses like does that even make sense
2: yeah some courses just sand because like you have your bent grass and bermuda that grow laterally okay so that sand all it does is give them some sort of a medium that they can kind of grow over and it also it kind of gives the same purpose of like hey the group behind you doesn't want to end up in a divot either so if it's filled up with it'll skim the ball will most likely skim over the top or you won't be sitting in a deep divot
0: yeah
2: but it also kind of works as a way so that the bent grass or Bermuda, usually if it's sand, it's Bermuda grass, unless you have a sand, uh, unless you're like on Long Island or something like that, where it's all sand based. Uh, Bermuda grows so aggressive that it just will grow over that divot. And it gives it something to kind of hold on to, to grow over that divot. Interesting. So, yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, most of your northeastern golf courses, if they give you something to fill your divot with, it's usually like soily. Yep. And has little seeds in it, and that's divot mix.
0: Gotcha. Because
2: yes. your northeastern golf courses, unless, like I said, more island, maybe like the Cape of Massachusetts, you're going to have soil based on sand.
0: Yeah.
1: Huh. That's a big difference, too. I know. um usga greens correct me if i'm wrong are those have those are different than push-up like push-up greens would be older greens that i feel like you'll normally see at um, not as nice as golf courses where i don't believe there's like any real sand they put in there whereas usga are all sand-based correct
2: so the way i usually look at it is push-up doesn't mean they're bad doesn't like doesn't mean they're bad at all push-up is just the older style So like push-up greens were the first ever greens construction ever thought of because people didn't have the technology or the know-how to do subsurface drainage. So put drainage below the surface of your putting surface. Yeah. So what they basically did is took the native soil and pushed it up into a mound. That's why push-up greens are always like turtleback elevated greens. And they usually have a crazy undulation on them. And that undulation the water
1: drain off the surface, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. it's not meant for your ball. Like it's not mess, meant to mess with your ball. It's meant so that the water will leave the surface of the green. Whereas USGA greens tend to be flatter. Like a lot of people go to like Bethpage Black. Bethpage Black has USGA greens. They're all like flattish, which basically mm-hmm. mean like they're like a certain mixture of soil to sand, and then below that is pea gravel with piping to take the water away. And then Bayonne has what they call California-style greens, which is mostly sand-based. So it does; it has a different ratio of soil to sand at the top that a USGA would have.
1: Well, awesome. Yeah, gr-
2: awesome. greens have a lot of technology a lot of people don't even know about.
1: I was going to say, yeah, I, I think we could probably dive into a pretty deep rabbit hole of green talk. So.
2: Oh, yes, we could.
1: let's get on to the next one here um this one is interesting i've i've heard and read a limited amount about it but i i do want to know um what your thoughts are on it or if you if you even know um about this push carts are okay to push over a green
2: so it depends on, I guess, the age of your golf course and how much. So here's the thing: with usually in the U.S., it's not, it's not good etiquette. Yeah, to push it across the green. I mean, like, it all depends on your on your greens. I guess what could handle it and what could. I mean, I'm not going to tell you like it's just not a good idea to do that. I wouldn't do it because you will make the superintendent mad no matter how nice your greens are or how bad your greens are it'll make him mad or her mad it'll make anyone mad uh but i mean if you got a firm green if you got firm greens with old old grass on it yeah it can probably handle it now in australia there are people who do that there are courses that allow it um but that's also because a lot of their greens are hundred years old firm as can be, they're in the sand, what they call the sand belt of Australia. So it's just like, is, is the golf course customary or not? Which in the U S you will never, you won't find that.
1: Copy. So don't roll your push carts over the greens. I thought it might be a stretch, yeah, no. but I'd heard it happen in Australia, but yeah, don't, don't do it people. Yeah, just don't um, do it. Next one, which is going to be a touchy topic and every uh, golfer's favorite, is going to be on aeration. <laughs> um, and the factor cap I'm gonna I'm gonna give you is aeration. only needs to be done once a year.
2: <laughs> yeah, we make sure we do it right before the member guests, just to piss everyone off. <laughs> no so i mean the thing with aeration so there's a few reasons why we have to aerate but the thing is there's different reasons at different times of year so it all depends on your budget what you can and can't afford if you can't afford it the best way to do it and this is if you have ideal conditions Your grass is growing, it's healthy, it's happy. Do it once in the spring, once in the middle of summer, and once in the fall. And I mean, so there's different types of aeration. There's core aeration, which is the infamous aeration that all golfers hate, because that's the one that puts the holes everywhere. And in the spring, you want to do it a half inch. So that means a half inch wide hole. And then in the middle of summer, you do a quarter inch, so a quarter inch wide hole. And then in the fall, you do another half inch. So that's, and then you top dress it. So you put sand down, it's pretty hefty in the spring and the fall. And then in the summer, the quarter inch, you want it just to like fill the holes pretty much. Give everything a dusting.
1: Hmm. Um, I'm gonna guess that it depends on your golf course's budget a little bit too, because I know many golf courses that I've played in in any area, but that aren't particularly the, the nicest, definitely don't uh aerate that many times.
2: No, yeah. I mean, a lot of places – I mean, a lot of places only do it twice, even if you have the money, just because a lot of people believe in doing it twice. A lot of people believe in doing it three times. You know, it's, it's so many depending factors. I mean, like if you're down south playing Bermuda grass, Bermuda grass needs to be top-dressed and aerated once every, like, three weeks because it's that crazy. It grows that fast, they do it it grows here. that aggressive. <laughs> What's that?
0: And they said they do it here, man. It seems like our courses are aerated every week. It's crazy. Oh,
2: yeah. They're always doing some sort they call that cultural practices. So they're either verticutting, They're doing what they call circle mowing. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen that in Florida where they'll literally mow in circles. Really? They do they that to
0: – On the greens they, or fairways or where?
2: On the greens, there's a, so circle mowing takes grain out of Bermuda, so they usually try to do it. I know when I was in Augusta, I played a place called Forest Hills a lot, and they had Bermuda greens, and they used to circle mow twice a week. Wow, they do it in the afternoons, it was crazy. I mean, the greens that's are just, so nice after they were done.
1: That's because Bermuda is exceptionally grainy, correct?
2: Yeah, I mean, so it just grows. It's an aggressive aggressive plant and just you could toss a I mean you could literally take a leaf from Bermuda grass toss it in the parking lot and it will try to grow <laughs> like it, it there's it takes no it it'll take anything as food and grow uh,
0: that's crazy how about coring or um, aerating like fairways and I feel like you don't see that done as often or maybe we just don't notice it
2: so you mean so fairways and teas?
0: yeah is that done so, in time frame or how is that kind of decided if at all
2: so that's kind of once again a budget thing so like i mean if you have the budget to do it then definitely do it and mm-hmm. top dress it just like green behind it yeah, that'll help you firm up your fairways firm up your tees do all that kind of stuff but i mean if you don't have the money for it they have another process called pencil tining which is just a solid it looks like a needle
0: hmm.
2: and you can just take that over your fairways just to get the roots some air gotcha. pretty much and that's like a thing you should do every two weeks every three weeks just yeah, kind of give yeah. everything some air down there
0: yeah. And that's what it keeps these. Go ahead, Danny. Uh,
1: I just wanted to I just curiosity because mm-hmm. I feel like you always wonder. I mean, obviously it comes down to budget and and but I, I've always wondered what processes kind of make a really nice golf course nice and then a, a not so nice golf course nice. And is aeration probably a pretty big part of that?
2: Yeah, I mean it's aeration, uh cutting is a big one. So basically what happens is grass grows in like layers and the layer right under like the very top which is called the canopy the layer under that's called thatch and like the way i usually put it is imagine you're trying to water your plant but in between the soil where your roots are where it takes up the water and your plant itself is a sponge so no matter how much water you put down the sponge is soaking up all the water and your roots are getting no water and the plant dies so basically what verticutting does, it looks like ninja stars is what I usually call it. They look like little saw blades and they go in there and they literally grab the thatch and pull it and pull it out. And then you just blow it off and put sand down instead. And that's
1: crucial for very nice looking fairways versus very not yeah. nice
2: looking fairways. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't take care of it, you get what they call a black layer, which basically that organic matter it's thicker and thicker and thicker and if you top dress then you just have a random layer in there and it's like sludge it turns into like a sludgy material and smells horrible (laughs) and that's when you know you're in trouble
1: interesting okay let's go to the last one television golf courses are perfect perfect condition
2: <laughs> yes, but not so. Yes, they are like, trust me, like, you're not gonna go to a golf course that was on television and be like, Oh, that place sucked! Like, you're never gonna do that. You're gonna go there and be like, This place is incredible, but I mean. From a turf standpoint, there's always stuff you can do. That's kind of the way we, we view it. This is a tough... See, I thought this question was going to be easy. It's not. <laughs> it's kind of a tough one. So, in the eyes of the patron, or in the eyes of the fan or whatever, they might look... look, look let's use a green for example they might look at a green and be like wow why is this green at this tour golf course like brown like i've heard it from like other people who go to tour events like oh the the greens are always brown they're always brown i don't know why like the greens are like while course. the pros are playing or after yeah you know? w- while the pros are playing they're always just like like i'll be watching i remember i was watching the us open at torrey pines with my dad and you can see all the burn spots. And he's like, wow, those greens are getting lit up. They're getting burnt, blah, 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 blah. And that's what he talked about. I was just like, well, here's the thing. In those tournaments, you are pushing grass to its limit. So basically what you're doing for those tournaments is you're saying, I'm going to push my grass to its limit until I see it's about to tilt over and die. And then I'm going to give it some water. So basically, like, I'm going to <laughs> – I'm going to make this person – like, I'm going to make this grass go across the Sahara Desert, and then when it's about to die, I'm going to give it a drop. Just to make it make it that last bit. Like, that's how far you have to push grass in these golf tournaments. And that so is to it's make not, the fast? Yeah. Firm, fast, basically putt like you're putting on a pool table. So it's like, what do they do to make them
1: so fast?
2: Uh, It's that's kind of tough to say because it all depends on what your property is. Some properties it takes less than others to make the greens where they need to be.
0: Yeah, so on TV, it's gonna look really good. Of course, they do the angles well. Uh, Most of the time, it does stay green. But like you said, the grass is cut so low, so much traffic, so much play, um, and they don't water them to keep them fast. So Like you said, they get pushed right to the brink. And uh, what about when a course is dormant? Because I assume um, there's a misconception there as well. They may think the grass is – I'll kind of let you talk on that before I even touch on it. So what's the difference between dormant and, like, dead grass? Or is there a difference? Oh, there's –
2: so there is a difference. Um, Usually, like, dead grass almost – like, first of all you'll know it's dead grass because it will look like extremely dormant grass but it's in the middle of the growing season that's when you know it's like dead Yep. and there's a certain smell it gives off of like this is just burnt to a crisp like the ground's cracking like because it usually dies off of like you're like when you're talking about dormancy compared to dead i'm assuming you mean like it's too dry it died Mm -hmm. because it didn't have enough water yeah now there's other ways you can kill grass of course like Overspraying something to the point where it kills grass, or like, like mm-hmm. growth regulators. People spray growth regulators so grass won't grow as fast. Well, if you overspray a growth regulator, it'll just shut down the grass growth altogether, which is mm-hmm. not good. But mm-hmm. basically, don't happen it- to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Never
1: been able to reach that top cupboard.
0: <laughs> <I> mean, somebody's <laughs>
2: too much growth rate on that kid (laughs) uh no but basically like dormancy basically what happened is so we all know we're gonna go through 10th 10th grade biology here Mm -hmm. so you all know photosynthesis
0: yep
2: you give water and carbon dioxide you add sunlight to that and you get sugar and oxygen so that's all sugar for the plant's food. The plant gives off oxygen. That's basically, that's basic knowledge. Now, where that happens, in a it happens in a cell of a plant and the cell is called the chloroplast. Once again, we kind of learned that in 10th grade biology as well. When you learned about the cells of the human, the cell of the plant. So that's where photosynthesis happens. And that's what actually, that's the organelle that makes a plant green so when it goes dormant what it's like during the winter time in the north when everything goes dormant or during the, the the south's a better option when bermuda goes dormant in the south what it's doing is it's no longer accepting the uptake of water so it's dehydrated but it's doing it as like it's its choice to dehydrate itself basically so when it's dehydrated the chloroplasts no longer turn green because they're not getting water and photosynthesis then decreases and the plant turns brown. Now, when it warms up again and it's like, okay, I'm ready to take up water again, starts taking in water, it'll start turning green, getting kind of awake. And what it's doing is it's getting photosynthesis going. So it gets stronger because it's basically, it's feeding itself. And then you get green grass again.
0: Does it play the same? Would a dormant course and a regular course play have the same playability?
2: Usually dormant courses play a little faster. Gotcha. So, like, except for I will say, when, so Bermuda, for example, Bermuda grass greens, when they're not dormant, are faster. Mm -hmm. But Bermuda grass fairways are faster when they're dormant. There's less resistance. The green kind of goes away during the dormancy.
0: Okay, gotcha. Cool. Well, very cool. That'll
1: end that uh, segment. I think uh, it's very informative and uh, I think people could definitely learn a lot and you'll have a little more knowledge as just a, your everyday golfer, you know, uh, about the, the ground you're playing on. Hopefully. I
0: definitely Hopefully. think so. It goes hand in hand, Danny. We know Aaron knows when it's in the industry, when you're uh, working in the pro shop or your cart attendant, It's very crucial that the relationship between, um, the turf guys, the outdoor operations, um, everybody's kind of on the same page. And then one step further being a golfer, um, it'll kind of just give you a little bit more appreciation for the guys that are working in the dark on our beautiful courses. So definitely take that into consideration, run this podcast back, jot some notes down, see if your divots and ball marks are being filled and or, uh, fixed correctly. And yeah, man, any uh, little hot take here or not even a hot take, but just another question for you, Aaron. Um, with Augusta off the table, because that's kind of a given, what of your th- internships that you've done or which places have you worked at did you like best? And maybe one reason why.
2: Um, I mean, I would probably say Mirrorfield Village. Yeah. Just because I guess the wow factor like, the moment, like, you're out there grinding in the morning before the golfers go out, and this was 2019, the memorial in 2019. I was mowing tees,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you get done mowing tees, and you go and you start watching the tournament, and you're just like, someone like, like, I'm a big Tiger Woods fan. It's just like, Tiger Woods is playing my golf course. Yeah. like he is teeing off of the tee that i just worked on he's doing this that i just worked on he's complimenting the grounds group because the place looks awesome and it's just like that's me yeah. and that's probably the coolest part when you get like when you see a star like that and they're just like yeah like we're gonna come like we're gonna play your golf course
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean that's yeah. just i mean like i don't know it's just yeah. it's fun it's really fun when you get to hear stuff like that. Yeah.
1: That I, I mean I imagine that's very cool. Um, did you you watched the memorial, correct? While you were there, you got to watch? Yes, I did. Um, you got any cool little stories or takeaways you had from that, or did you have any cool little run-ins with any of the pros or
2: yeah. So speaking of old Tiger Woods. So I was At one point, so I was standing up by 14T, and so 14 is up high, 11 is down low, and it's, like, got a whole grove of trees and everything between us and a creek and everything like that. So I am standing up by 14T. Nobody's up there at the time, like, no crowd, no nobody, and I just hear, like, this ball come through the trees and, like, land right next to me. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to stand here. And because obviously a pro hit that, I'm going to stand here and wait to see who it is. <laughs> and I'm staying, it's like a maintenance path. So it's probably about five feet wide. And I looked down the path, which kind of veers off and goes toward 11 with the ropes, with the rope line. And there had to have been 10,000 people just running up this path, just storming <laughs> up this path. And since I had I had a staff badge on, so I'm like, well, I'm going to act like a part of the staff and kind of hold people back from running over this ball. <laughs> so I step back there and I just like kind of stop people and I see it's a Bridgestone. So in my head, being a big tour, like being fans of the tour and everything like that, trying to think of, OK, who would be playing a Bridgestone? Something like maybe it's Cooch, maybe it's Sneds, And I'm just trying to go through all these players. And I look down at this little bridge that goes over 11 that only caddies and players can use. And I see Joey LaCava start walking up the hill. And I'm like, I forgot about probably the biggest person sponsored by Bridgestone at the time. like The,
1: <laughs> the, the 10,000 people didn't give him away.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, I don't know. Kuchar's got a big problem. is <laughs> a funny guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. But like, then I see Tiger walking up the hill too and i was just like wow like i'm just like joey didn't i mean like it would have been nice to get a thank you from joey for holding back all the people so they didn't run over yeah. his man's ball but yeah, joey just told me to get the f- out of the way <laughs> <laughs> So then, thank you joey no but uh good caddy right there i, I mean, think
0: this is a picture if it focuses
2: is that yeah that's tiger walking up 13 yeah, yeah that's on
0: me that that's on my instagram yeah Yeah. quality right now
2: but yeah i mean i'm gonna see if i can i might be able to send one of you guys the video of tiger by his golf ball in 14 but uh no i mean there was that moment and i mean he ended up making birdie off the cart path he had a seven uh, i heard him say seven iron he had a seven iron up and over the trees back onto the second part of the fairway and made birdie and i remember that's also the same one where uh the video that went viral, he was walking off number one, and some guy yelled at him, and he yelled, you're so handsome, Tiger, and he gave him a little nod to the crowd, so that was yeah. kind of funny.
1: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, awesome. I think that's a great story to end on. Um, uh, I just want to thank you very much. really enjoyed having you on, and I, I think it's uh, made some, for some cool uh, content here, so thank you, Aaron. Um, send it over to UVP awesome. for a little sign-off, and
0: yeah, definitely. So, yeah, real quick, definitely, Aaron. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. It's a, it's a, it's a switch up to get a guest on. We definitely like to have other personalities, you know, great stories and just great uh, content and conversation. And if you ever get a day off, brother, come down to Southeast Florida and we'll tee it up. But uh, other than that, guys, give Aaron Olive underscore fifty six a follow or check out on Instagram, and then of course. Brandon or Balance underscore Performance and Danny Christie Golf on Instagram as well. So this has been podcast twelve, correct? What so is it? Twelve or thirteen? One of them. Thirteen or twelve? I can't remember now. Thirteen. Is twelve or thirteen? Thirteen.
1: Thir- yeah. It is 13. 13.
0: thirteen. One three. The big one three. We've done so many. We're already forgetting. But uh, once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> and we hope to check you in the next one. So a big shout out and thank you to Aaron Oliver. And this is the Tipped Out Podcast signing off, episode 13.
1: It was a pleasure, Aaron.
2: Contraband
1: got that dope.
0: Sometimes I don't feel all right. No girl on my face, she said she ain't a bite. That's why I don't feel all right. Catch me in
1: the cup more white
0: tonight. Stop talking on Breaking the Bank. Yeah.